Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Please take your Bible and turn in it with me to the book of John. We're going to continue to take a look at this wonderful gospel, and particularly that part which is known as the Upper Room Discourse. The traitor, betrayer, Judas Iscariot, has gone to seal the deal, as it were, with the religious leaders of the day to betray Christ. And Jesus is with the eleven who are still faithful and remained faithful in the long run to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, many believe, was God's choice to replace Judas. And what we know about Paul was he was afire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He liked nothing more. In fact, he lived ate and drank the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went all over the Mediterranean basin preaching the gospel. When he found his way to Ephesus, which was the leading city in Asia Minor, what would be contemporary Turkey, he went there and before he actually entered the city, he ran across some disciples of Christ. And he was so thrilled to know that these men and women perhaps were following Christ. And he asked them a simple question. The question was this, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Their response was, no. We had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. When I grew up in a church, there was a warm church family, a church which had begun with a handful of people, and by the time I came to know Jesus Christ about five years later, there were over a thousand people who were coming to the church. The gospel was preached regularly and with passion. People were coming to faith and growing in the faith. It was not until I was 21 or 22 years of age, having been a faithful person to be in worship services, not just once a week, but twice, not just twice a week, three times a week. Now, I'm not claiming omniscience about all that happened, and I was a boy most of that time, an adolescent and a young adult, but I never recall hearing any teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit in that church. And as a result, I could have given the same answer if someone had asked me. Now, I knew there was, is a Holy Spirit. I knew that. I had read the Bible. But as far as the part which Holy Spirit plays in the economy of the Trinity, I had little to no clue about what that meant. And then one day, a man told me about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the lights came on. It was a great day in my life. Second only to the day that I opened my heart and received Jesus as my Lord and Savior as a boy in that very church. Switch gears with me just a moment. With that as introduction, 
I want to tell you about two women. One at the age of five developed an illness of the eye called trachoma, and this illness rendered her partially blind. She struggled to see, and therefore gaining an education was very difficult for her. She underwent observation by ophthalmologists. She had more than one surgery. Part of her vision was restored, but she was still what today would be considered legally blind. Someone heard about the Perkins School for the Blind in Boston. It was a school for young ladies who were sight impaired. She was given admission to that school. She went there. She was rather awkward socially. She came from the lower class in her town, but she had a good mind. And she studied diligently. And she wanted to know as much as she could about any number of subjects. She stayed there for years. She did not graduate until she was 20 years of age from that school, which would be a high school in our thinking. It was because she got such a late start and didn't have people who were equipped to teach her. But when she graduated, she graduated first in her class. If time would permit, I would read the valedictory speech she gave. But I'm going to summarize it with a simple statement. She said to her fellow graduates that whatever we do, we need to seek the guidance of God in doing it and do it for Him and for others. Shortly after her graduation, the principal of the school called her into his office. He congratulated her on her excellent work. She was not just intellectual, she was very industrious. Anything her hand found to do in the academic arena, she did it with all her might. And he said to her, Anne, I have an assignment I would like to recommend for you to undertake. He said, it's a long way from Boston. You will not know anyone when you get there, but I believe you are just the person that needs to take this challenge on. There was a family in Tuscumbia, Alabama. You have to be going to Tuscumbia today to get this through that little town. I went through it, and she was up for the challenge. And with great optimism, at the same time, certain set of anxieties, she boarded the train, and she took her meager belongings, and she made herself southward bound came to Tuscumbia, and it was there that she met the Keller family. Helen Keller was the seven-year-old child of a prominent war hero in the South and his wife. And Helen Keller was a wild thing. If you've ever seen The Miracle Worker, based on the play by William Gibson, the great play, playwright, you'll have a good picture, especially if you saw the first version. It was nominated for the Academy Award, and I believe Patty Duke, who portrayed Helen Keller, 
was given the Academy Award for it, and Bancroft served in the role of Anne. Anne Sullivan was her name. And immediately, sparks flew between Anne and the parents of Helen and Helen herself. She saw that her job would be that job that would require all authority being passed to her. And there was a struggle between the mother and Anne Sullivan, and of course between the child who couldn't hear, she couldn't see, she couldn't speak. But underneath all that wild life on the outside, which was generated from the inside, there was a woman in the making who was brilliant in her IQ. You know the story. If you don't, look into it, the miracle worker. And you will see how transformation occurred. Powerful transformation. Going back to the tension which existed between Helen Keller and her mentor in the resistance that Helen had toward her, in her life story, it's a short autobiography, it's called The Story of My Life. Very, very encouraging and interesting reading. She reflected back on what happened when Miss Sullivan came. She says, when my teacher, Miss Sullivan, came, I seized early opportunity to lock her in her room. And by the way, she succeeded in doing that. She was set free by the parents of Helen Keller. But Helen was very mischievous in addition to being a wild kid. But the good news is, God used Ann Sullivan in her life. They developed an incredibly strong relationship. In fact, so strong, after Helen had learned to read by the hand of Miss Sullivan, she had learned to write of all things, to write, not in Braille. She read in Braille, but she learned to write in a form that would be like the way we write, freehand. She and Miss Sullivan, and she was not married, Miss Sullivan was not married. She and Miss Sullivan went after high school had been accomplished by Miss Keller, Helen Keller. She was accepted to Radford College. Do you know what Radford College was in that day? Still exists. It's Radford University now. But do you know what that was? It was the female counterpart of Harvard University. This was the school that the greatest achieving scholars who were female were admitted to and attended. And she went. Do you know what Ann Sullivan did for her? She went to every lecture. She sat beside her, knowing she couldn't hear. She would listen to the lecture, and then she would write in this blind and deaf child's young lady by now, hand every word. And when there was some word a lecturer did not know, I mean that Anne did not know that the lecturer had used, she would on her off time go look up the word herself and write it and then write it in the hand of 
Helen Keller. Talk about a relationship. When Helen reflected on the life of her mentor, 49 years she was her companion and her teacher. She said about this woman, I could hardly think about doing anything without my teacher. Teacher, 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 teacher. All over this autobiography. And the relationship. She also, and I'm paraphrasing here as well, she indicated that she doubted, this would be Helen Keller, doubted that she would ever have been a person who had a vision for her life and fulfilled her potential. She said it was almost like they were one because everything she knew and learned began, learned began with Ann Sullivan. Ann Sullivan, brilliant in her own right. Remember, she was the valedictorian of her class, number one. But she gave of her life to be sure that this young lady realized her potential, and that she did. I see a parallel, actually, between the person whom we know as Holy Spirit and us, and Ann Sullivan and Helen Keller. Let's look at this passage of Scripture, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and us today. So perk up, take notice, and ask God to speak to your heart. Teach you what you don't know about the Holy Spirit. You may be like the Ephesians who had believed, but they really had not heard in the sense of hearing and understanding and applying. Today could be a day of new awakening spiritually for you. And listen carefully as we read four verses of Scripture in the 14th chapter. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17, which we've given some attention to so far, but not in-depth attention. Then we're going to go to verses 25 and 26, picking up where we left off last week with 24. John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. May I pause here, lest I forget it. Jesus asked the Father, and the Father... Jesus was a certain would give them another helper. We saw last week the word another means another just like me. So let's read it with that in mind. I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and the Father will give you another helper just like me. Jesus was a helper. We saw last time the word for helper is a compound word in the Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament. And it means someone who has been called alongside of someone who is in need and is equipped and eager to help meet that need. That's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and who Holy Spirit is. E. Stanley Jones, the great missionary statement, statesman, who took the gospel to India. And then he took it to Japan when as an 86-year-old man, he suffered a stroke, stroke as he was the keynote speaker at a conference where over a thousand young Japanese adults had gathered. And he shared the Lord with them and he had a stroke. He was told, you will never speak again. 
you will never be able to walk again without the aid of some apparatus. This man said, I believe I will speak again, and I will walk again. And he defied the odds, and he lived to write a book. The book was entitled, and still is entitled, and I recommend it highly, The Divine Yes. And it spoke of how God's Spirit worked in his life. This is what he said about Holy Spirit in relationship to Jesus. He said, Holy Spirit is the successor of Jesus. It was like a baton race where Jesus had finished His work and He handed off the baton to Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, who filled Jesus, the Bible says in the Gospel of John, the third chapter, that Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. Do you know what that means? He had all of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit had all of Him. Well, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper just like me. Now let's pause. I'm going to state the obvious. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us who know Jesus Christ. And what a gift. What a gift. The grace of God is demonstrated in the giving of Holy Spirit to us that He may be with you how long? Forever. Hold that thought. Don't let that escape you. Once you receive the Holy Spirit, He will not disembark from your life. He goes on to say in verse 17, that is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth suggests the Spirit who is the author of truth. We're going to see in a few months maybe in chapter 17 where Jesus asked the Father, sanctify them with your truth. And then He defines what the truth is. Your Word is truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspired those whom we know as biblical writers to give us the truth. It's not a truth. It's the truth. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And it gives reasons why people who are outside the body of Christ cannot receive Holy Spirit because it does not behold Him. Notice the use of the personal pronoun. We saw this and we won't go into deep, much detail here. But Jesus is not an impersonal force. Most of us know what was said to Luke. May the force be with you, right? And that is from Star Wars and that series of movies. I love those movies. The Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Spirit is a person and not any ordinary person. Here's why I say that. In verse 16, let's look at it one more time. I will ask the Father, He will give you another helper just like me. In essence, just like me. So what do we know about Jesus so far in the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word. Speaking of Jesus, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh, that is, He became a human being, and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And of His fullness, this is powerful, powerful for us who know Christ. Of His fullness we have all received 
and grace upon grace. What does that tell you and me about the relationship which we have with Jesus? We have received everything there is about Christ in us. This is mind-blowing, and it's mind-boggling at the same time in the sense, I think how absurd of me to think that God would take up residence in my life. How audacious. It would be both absurd and audacious were it not for the fact that this is what the Scripture says. Not about me only, but about any number of people who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. They confess Him and believe that God has raised Him from the dead and that if we trust in Him, we have eternal life. And that life is generated by the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus when Nicodemus came to Him by night? He said to him, Nicodemus, unless you are born of water, that would be physical birth, and the Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Jesus asked the Father, to give another helper just like him. And that would certainly mean Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is. He is God, a very God. And so amazingly, what does he say as we work our way through verse 17 one more time? You know him, namely Holy Spirit, personal pronoun, not a it, but a him. And there is a word for it that was readily available to Jesus. Jesus used it from time to time in his language, but he chooses the pronoun him because he abides with you now. And what does he promise? He will be in you. He indwells us. Holy Spirit indwells us. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit indwells us. The primary purpose for the Father sending the Spirit is not for my personal power or my personal purity, although those things do follow if we follow logically what the Scripture says about the imperative nature of His presence. Power and purity, spiritually speaking, are byproducts of the Spirit's presence. No Holy Spirit no power, no purity. He is Holy Spirit, which speaks of purity. And we remember what Jesus said right before ascending into heaven. He said to His apostles, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest part of the earth. Power for doing what? Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We who know Christ have the wonderful privilege of having the Holy Spirit indwell us, and we trust Holy Spirit to do what only He can do, and that is convince people of the need that they have for salvation through Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, is there anyone here who has ever had butterflies at the very suggestion that you were supposed to tell other people about Jesus Christ? Anybody beside me? I'm going to raise my hand first. Okay. Nobody's taking names. Don't worry. 
Have any of you stepped across the line and shared Christ with someone and it was a total disaster? Anybody in here? Yeah. Well, what looked like a total disaster probably wasn't because you obeyed the Lord. And you never know what people will do if you're trusting the Holy Spirit. Now, this is, this is the bottom line. Trusting the Holy Spirit. Asking Him to fill you. And that's not some kind of mysterious event. It's the idea of asking Him to take control of you. That's what it means to be filled. To give control to someone. Give your control, the control of your life. And then if you are following Christ like that, you will be astonished and I will be too someday when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and He's evaluating our lives. Did we live it for ourselves? Therefore, building our metaphorical house out of gold, silver, and precious stones? Or for the Lord, that would be the case if we live for ourselves. It'll be something that'll just be wasted. But if we're trusting the Lord, sharing Christ is never a failure. Never. If you share the gospel. So don't get the wrong idea. But unless we depend on the Holy Spirit, you can have an outline down pat. I mean, you can quote all kinds of Scripture, word perfect. But if you're depending upon yourself when you share the gospel, it's going to be a waste of your time. And it won't matter. But the main idea is we learn to trust the Holy Spirit. We put our trust and faith in the Holy Spirit of God and watch Him work. Get out of your comfort zone. If you know Jesus, some of you don't know Him. Some of you are just now getting acquainted with Him. Maybe you know Him because you asked Christ to come in your life and you didn't even know He came to live in you. The Bible says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. And what was that price? The precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So glorify God in your body. Romans 8 9 says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, Holy Spirit, if you don't have the Spirit of Jesus, then you don't belong to Him. Holy Spirit comes and regenerates, comes to indwell us, comes to empower us for power in ministry. But not only that, for purity. The Holy Spirit's work is twofold perhaps even greater because He is God. First of all, it's to present the gospel and people are saved when they hear the gospel and the Spirit of God is ministering to them. They come to know Jesus. Then, the second aspect of the work of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit is integrally involved in your salvation. No Spirit work, no salvation. But also, Holy Spirit is involved throughout our lives reproducing His own nature in us. After all, He lives in us. Now there's a battle which is waged in the heart of a believer. Paul knew it. If you know Christ and you've been following Christ for any length of time, you know it. The Bible says that part of us that is independent of God, described as the flesh, battles against the Spirit. My little 
F flesh and the spirit, big S spirit, there's a war which is being waged for control of my life. And sometimes I take control back and it never turns out well. I've had a lot of opportunity to take control back all these years and I've taken it back. Every time I sin, I take it back. And you might say, well, what are some of your sins, Mike? Well, I'm not going to tell you. That's between me and the Lord. But I have broken all the Ten Commandments in, in the spirit of the law. Not actually with my body, but in the spirit of the law. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you ain't getting into heaven. That's my translation. You're not going to heaven. You're not going to make it. Because your righteousness has to exceed that of the highest ranking religious leaders of Jesus' day. How does that work? They lived to impress people, didn't they? God forbid that any of us would live to make an impression on other people. Rather, help us to be humbled by the very thought that the living, holy God wants residence in my life. And He doesn't simply desire to be a resident. He wants to be president for eternity in my life. My authority and yours. And when that happens, God uses us. And He is glorified in our lives as we trust Him. Purity and power come only after we recognize His presence in our lives and we submit to Him. Every believer, according to various passages, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, every believer is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Whether you know it or not, if you really know Christ. He, you and I were indwelt at the time that we trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. How long does the Spirit indwell a Christian? Well, we've seen it forever. That's how long. The gift and calling of God are irrevocable is what the Bible says. Gift. That's the word that's used in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12 about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it also has to do with our salvation. Once called, once saved because it's an effectual calling. It, it works. When He calls us, He rivets us to Himself. Just because we don't feel His presence does not mean He's not in our lives. Now, I've had a lot of feelings in relationship to the Holy Spirit. A lot of experiences. But if I had never had a single situation where I felt something, it would not necessarily mean that I was not saved. I use Samson as an example. Samson, who was an intriguing figure to say the least. Read his story in the book of Judges. He had the Spirit of God in his life. And he took up with Delilah. Delilah was a Philistine. They were living together out of wedlock. It was a sin, the breaking of the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. That's sin. We can sin without ever laying with another man or woman who's not our wife or our husband. But the point being, I mean, he was, a, he was just a playboy, 
slightly, at least. And remember, Delilah kept bugging him, bugging him. Tell me the secret of your strength. And finally, he did tell her. And finally, she did what he said needed to be done, cut off his hair. And then she said for the, the umpteenth time to the Philistines who had been waiting for their moment to get him, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And in they came. And he thought to himself, I will, as he woke up, he said, I'll tear those guys up just like I have every other time. But he was wrong, wasn't he? He didn't, the scripture says, he did not know his strength had left. The Holy Spirit left him and he didn't know it. There was no feeling attached. And what we need to understand is, you may think you have the Spirit and you don't. You may think you don't have and you do. It's not mainly about feelings. It's about my saying, Holy Spirit of God, forgive me for not giving you control of my life. Would you please come and take control of my life? Not for my benefit, Lord, even though there's great benefit beyond our imagination in having His presence, but not simply His presence, but His control of our lives. What He does in us and through us is immeasurable. But what we need to understand is that when we yield to the Spirit of God, we are strengthened in a mighty way. There's a man in the book of Zechariah, his name was Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the de facto king of Judah. He was the civic leader who was given the responsibility after they got back there. Nehemiah had overseen the building of the wall around the city in a miraculous period of about 52 days. They were able to rebuild the wall to protect those who were inside of it. And then they were ready to rebuild the temple. And this man, Zerubbabel, was the man who was charged with seeing that that took place. And he was scared. When he looked at that massive mound, it looked like a mountain of rubble where the stones had been destroyed. It was just a mess. And he was getting worried about, how am I going to do this? And then the prophet comes and speaks to him. And he speaks as if God were speaking. And in fact, that's what was happening. And he says, it's not by might, Zerubbabel. It's not by power. But by my strength, says the Lord of hosts. By the Spirit of God. That's how it will be done. The word might is a word that was used to describe a huge army. It's not by gathering a bunch of people and getting great synergy going with a bunch of people in accomplishing a mission. And the next word, not by might nor by power, that word is used to describe a charisma that a person has, a strong personality. The world has known men and women, and still does, who have the power to persuade, and it's all coming from inside them, having nothing to do with the Lord. But he says, but my spirit, not by might, or a power, but my, my spirit. I hope you know that the Holy Spirit's the one who wants to empower you and me to accomplish His mission here on earth. So, first thing we learn, He indwells us. But also, He instructs us. This is really encouraging. Look at verse 25. 
These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, here's the use of that term again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. Let me pause just a moment. This does not mean that all of a sudden when you submit to the Holy Spirit, you welcome Him into your home, your heart, and you give Him full control of your life. It does not mean immediately you're going to have the capacity to do things you otherwise could not do because you were not given those talents in the moment of your conception, in your mother's womb. You can try all you want to. There's some things I will never be able to do. In fact, there are very few things I won't ever be able to do because things I'll be able to master because I just don't have many talents, frankly, outside of, I don't know what, learning a lot of stuff about sports or something like that. But what I do know is that the Lord, what He wants for us is to realize what He says here in this passage of Scripture. That He will teach us all things. That, has those, that phrase, all things, means all things pertaining to relationship with God. It's all His work when it comes to our being saved. Some of you are reluctant to give your lives to Christ because you say, I just, I'm not good enough. And you're mistaken in one way, you're correct. You aren't good enough. Nobody is good. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. No one who does good. Nobody. And so this is not a contest between me and the rest of the world as to how I stack up or you stack up against the rest of the world as far as morality is concerned. It's an acknowledgement that I can't do it myself as far as my being saved or progressing. I have to cooperate when the Spirit of God prompts me to do what God says. I do it, but I do it even in that case in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads us when we do this. He will teach us all these things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Now, he had a specific audience here. We know that, the 11 apostles. But the 11 apostles gave us not all of them wrote parts of the New Testament, but all the writers were apostolic. And they have given us what was told the apostles and what was communicated and written down. The Holy Spirit has given this to us. So He instructs us and He gives us what we need. The Holy Spirit will teach you in two different ways. He explains what the Scriptures mean to you. Do you ever find the Bible hard to understand? A large part of that inability to understand can be traced to not trusting the Holy Spirit to be your teacher. He is the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth. John 16, 13 says, the Spirit of truth is one who's given us the Word of God. We've seen that too. And what does the psalmist say in Psalm 119 about the Word of God? Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The Spirit teaches us truths about God. We call them doctrine, about the church, about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus. He teaches us this, 
these things. And he teaches us so that we can apply them in our lives. He not only explains what Scripture means, he exhorts believers to apply the Scripture personally by bringing truths to their attention and to their minds. Have you ever been tempted to sin in a particular area? And then all of a sudden, as you were moving closer to acting out on your temptation, something came to your mind, and the Spirit of God spoke to you, and you were back in order. That happens every once in a while. And hopefully it would be the norm rather than the exception to the rule. The Holy Spirit disturbs the comfortable. You ever been disturbed by the Holy Spirit? We're going to look at that in detail in the 16th chapter. He convicts us of our sin. It's, it's tough to be. Read Psalm 51, what it did to David when he hid his sin for almost a year. Terribly hard for him. He disturbs us in our comfort. All spiritual decline is related to a failure to remember the truth. The Holy Spirit brings things to mind through the Scripture, either our reading it, hearing it taught. He gives this to us and we're to respond properly. We should beg God to teach us all things. We should have that as a prayer in our heart. Enter a day with this in mind. Teach me to do your will, O God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. That was David's prayer in Psalm 143. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, teach me, teach me. This is what the Lord wants for us as far as our walk with Him is concerned. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. David asked the Lord this in Psalm 32. We read Psalm 32 earlier. You remember he said, I will instruct you, God did to David. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. The Lord is our counselor. He is our helper. Holy Spirit will do that for us if we're simply open to His doing that. I'd like to read two verses from Isaiah as we near the end of our time of study today. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 20 and 21. Listen carefully. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, in other words, the Lord was disciplining them harshly. He, your teacher, will no longer hide himself. I think this is the Holy Spirit will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. This is a prophecy of the Spirit coming. And we will know him. Blind spiritually. Paul prays in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. That's a prayer I often pray before I come here to teach the Bible or any setting. Lord, please use your word by your Spirit open people's eyes, open their ears. And he goes on to say in verse 21 of Isaiah 30, your ears will hear a word behind you. Now listen, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. The good news for us who know Jesus, we have another helper just like Him 
who's come to indwell us, and He instructs us. He guides us as we lean upon Him. Like Ann Sullivan, Holy Spirit puts His effort in helping us when we are yielded to Him because He wants to equip us to do the work for which we were saved to begin with. He empowers us for just such a task. Some of you remember Mary Lou Retton. <coughs> Decades ago, she won the gold medal, which was the most coveted of all gold medals and still is in gymnastics. She won the overall best doing all the different different kinds of exercises gymnasts do in the Olympics and she won it and when she was visualized for us on television and she ran to her coach and think what you will about Bella Caroli but he was a, a great teacher coach and what did she say do you remember what she said to him she was elated and she says we did it we did it. Do you know the Lord's looking for people who are teachable and available and who say, Holy Spirit, I want to be used by you because I know you created me for the glory of God. And I know that God is glorified in me and others when we yield to you and to you, Holy Spirit, and you give us the power for sharing Christ and being like Christ in accomplishing the mission that He gives to us. Let's pray. Perhaps you have identified yourself as a person this morning who has not known who the Holy Spirit is. There are two reasons that may be true. We've looked at them. It may be that you were not taught about the Holy Spirit, just some foggy figure in eternity. But He's a personal figure. He's no ordinary figure. He's God. And He wants to come and be the Lord of your life. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians 3, 17, the Lord is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Lord just as much as God the Father in Jesus because He's God and He wants to rule in your life. Have you fully surrendered to Him? Remembering that it's not about emotion. It's about a heart that moves toward Christ and submits to Christ by the Spirit of God. If you've never done that, do it. If you've done it in the past and you have for some reason departed from that, and that's probably true of more than a handful of people here, would you just say, Holy Spirit, I need a fresh start with you. Please take control of me. And the other type of person who's present may not know the Holy Spirit because you've never really been born again. And Jesus says, you must be born again. How's that possible? Well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that He died for your sin 
and He offers you forgiveness and eternal life. Just tell Him in your heart. Tell Him. Lord, I don't, I don't believe I know You. I want to know You. I want eternal life. I want to please You and have a life that matters not just for now, but forever. Lord, bless all those who have been spoken to like I have from this passage. And help us all to get started anew in our relationship to you, Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.